13-year anniversary. We have five incredible children. I have an eight-year-old named Layton who is smart. Uh, he loves to read. He, he, he gets everything the first time around. In other words, he is just like his mother. He is nothing like me. I have a six-year-old named Keller who is a bull in a china shop. He never stops running. He is always loud, and he is just like his father. I have another six-year-old whom we adopted out of foster care named Grayson, and Grayson is kind, and Grayson is loving and affectionate. I have a four-year-old little girl, which is my only little girl, uh, who her name is Lola Joe. I just call her Joe, uh, and so uh, Joe is um, by far, I don't know if you can have a favorite, but she is my favorite. She's my only girl. The boys are loud and they run and they make a lot of noise. Lola pretends to put on makeup and wear dresses and she loves to go on dates with daddy. And she loves steak, which is my favorite meal. And then I have a three-year-old named Dawson who is the greatest surprise of our life. When my wife and I thought we were done and that uh, our child, or that we were done having children, uh, I, we came home from church one day and she made me swing by the store. And lo and behold, God had blessed us with another child, which is how we have an eight-year-old, two six-year-olds, a four-year-old, and a three-year-old. Uh, I would say we are done, but I'm not going to tell God that. And so I'm just going to let God uh, decide what he wants to do there. Um, and so let's dive in. We're going to be in the book of Psalms today, continuing in a series that your pastors have set up for you titled, Salvation Belongs to the Lord. And this morning, I want to tell you this. Jesus died to save me from my sins and to bring me back into a relationship with God is an incomplete definition of Christianity. What I want you to know this morning is that you were created with the nations in mind. You were saved and regenerated by the grace of God so that that grace would be shared with others. The statement so many believers make is that God has not called me to overseas missions or God has not called me to evangelism is not only a scary statement, but it is in fact an unbiblical statement to make. You see, we read John 3, 16, and we hear, for God so loved the world, and we think to ourselves, that means me. We read about the peace that surpasses all understanding, and we think, God's going to give me that peace that surpasses all understanding. We read about finding the deepest treasures in life in Jesus, and we think, I want that treasure. But when we read Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations, we believe that means a select few. And when we read Acts 1, that we're going to be his witness uh, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, we think, well, that is just a select few. You see, we have made evangelism and missions a project for just a select few while we withdraw back to what is comfortable and what is easy. And what we want at the end of the day, or what it seems as if we want, 
is we want the blessings of God. We want the love. We want the peace. We want the, the treasure that's in Christ without the responsibility of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth or even to our neighbors that live across the street. And so today, as we continue in this series, Salvation Belongs to the Lord, our text before us today is going to be Psalm 67. And the title of the sermon this morning is The Global Mission of God. The Global Mission of God. And the main lesson that we're going to pull from this text is simply this, and that is that God uses His people. He uses the church And to personalize that a little bit more, God uses you and he uses me to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. And my prayer today is not that you will see missions as something that is done by a select few overseas, but that you will see yourself as a vital part of God's plan in taking the gospel to neighbors and ultimately to the world. And so if you are physically able and you have found your place in Psalm 67, I'm going to ask that you would stand again in honor of and in reverence to the reading of God's inerrant life-giving word. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today in the name of Jesus. And God, I am grateful for the scriptures. I am thankful for the sufficiency of them. And I pray that as we look inside of the word today, God, I pray that you will use the word and the truths found inside of it to stir our souls and our hearts. God, I pray that the truths that have gripped me this week God, we grip the saints in this church today. And God, that you will give us a desire, God, not only to know you, but to make you known to the people around us. And so, God, I pray that you will begin to work through your word. God, I pray for those that do not know you, God, that you will give life today and that you will save. And God, those that are saved, I pray that you will show us our responsibility in being sent. So God, work through the word. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you three truths that are found in the text that I think are, that we can pull from the text that are pretty clear in the text. And the first truth that we're going to look at today together is simply this. Because again, we're talking about global missions. And by the way, you can't think of global missions without thinking of your neighbor. Okay, global mission is not something that starts overseas. Global missions and evangelism starts by being good neighbors. So keep that in mind. We're going to see three 
truths about global missions. And the first one is this. Global missions stem from God blessing his people. Let's go back to the text and let's look together again at verse 1. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Now, Psalm 67, I think is important to highlight here. It is a prayer that ended up turning into a hymn that the Israelites sang back to God. It had three stanzas and a chorus. And so as we march through this, think through this prayer. The the prayer starts off by God's people saying, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Israel's first thing that they're praying to God in the psalm is that God would bless his people. The psalmist asked for God's continued blessing in his life and in the life of all of God's people. There's nothing unusual with God's people at this time in history asking for God to bless them. But there's a purpose statement tucked away in verse 1. I'm sorry, verse 2. It says that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. There it is. We say, why were the psalmist, why was the psalmist asking for God to be a blessing to his people? Ultimately, so that his way would be known on earth and that his saving power would be made known to all the nations. You see, when God made a covenant with Abraham, tucked away in that covenant with Abraham was a promise that one day, one day God was going to, through him and through his offspring, bless all families of the earth. The word known here in verse 2 literally means not only intellectual knowledge, but an experiential knowledge that is knowledge that results from experience. And so what the psalmist is praying is that God would be gracious to him and make his face shine upon him, that his way would be known on earth, that people from every tribe, tongue, and language would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and be converted. I like that because salvation isn't simply about a gathering of information. It is an encounter with God that satisfies the deepest longings of your soul. Church, one of the repeated themes throughout Genesis is this idea of God blessing Abraham so that all the nations of the earth would be blessed And when we think about this series, that salvation belongs to the Lord, faith in times of trouble. When you think about troubling times, and you think about the troubling times that face our nation today, and all the disunity that surrounds us, I want you to know that the only way to ultimately fight against the darkness is not through political means. It is through sharing the good news of the gospel. The problem with the church is we have tried to fight a battle through political means and political gains and through power. That was never the way God intended for us to engage culture. 
He intended for us to engage the culture by sharing with them something that was infinitely greater than anything this world could offer them by sharing with them the gospel of Jesus. You see, we will not see the world changed through politics, education, or even wealth. The world is changed only through the transforming power of the gospel. We cannot look for Washington to change the culture. We cannot look for our schools to change the culture. If we want to see a community changed and our world ultimately changed, it starts by you being a good neighbor and sharing the gospel with those that are around you. You see, there is a pattern all throughout Scripture that God uses. He blesses His people with extravagant grace, ultimately, so the world would see His glory. I love what Warren Wearsby says about this text. He says that a blessing is a gift from God that glorifies His name, helps His people, and through them reaches out to help others who will glorify His name. God blesses us so that we might be a blessing to others. If you ask yourself, you know, look, everybody in this room should be able to look around and see the hand of God and the blessing of God in your life, and nobody here would say, God hasn't blessed me. If you say, why has God blessed me? God has blessed you with a global purpose in mind that you would be faithful in sharing the gospel with others and helping others share the gospel around the world through your giving. You see, the issue with so many within the church is we have made Christianity about us, not about the fame and the renown of Jesus. Growing up, I was a youth group kid in the 90s. Okay, so to kind of age myself, that means I'd have like three or four WWJD bracelets on my arm when I was in youth group. Okay, um, that was it was the trendy thing to do. And when when, when I and I was a regular youth group kid from Centrifuge to D Nows to Winter Retreats to Youth Evangelism Conference in Jackson, uh, I was a Mississippi Baptist kid growing up my you know my entire life. I was a Mississippi Baptist nine months before I was ever born. Okay, I grew up a Baptist, and what I heard so often from the pulpit was that if I was the only person in the world, Jesus would have died just for me. A few things. Number one, I don't like hypothetical theology, and that's hypothetical theology. Number two, I don't like theology that, that emphasizes self and de-emphasizes the fact that God wants the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. The reality is this. Jesus died not just for me and my sins. Jesus died according to Revelation 5 so that people from every tribe, tongue, and language would gather around the throne room and worship the Lamb who is worthy of their worship. The ESV Study Bible notes this about this passage. Each Israelite is a player in a grand story that stretches far beyond the boundaries of his own life or even his own land. Listen to me, church. God has given us a global purpose. 
to declare the greatness of God and the redeeming work of Jesus. The text emphasizes in verse 2, your saving power among all nations. I believe it was John Piper that said that God created the human soul to maximize its joy, not in consuming, but in giving. You don't lose when they gain. You lose when you fail to give. And so you may ask yourself, how do I engage in global mission today? Through faithful giving to Lottie Moon, through faithful giving to your local church who looks beyond its walls and beyond its community to the world at large. I have a lot of friends that are not Southern Baptists, pastors, and they have their reasons for not being Southern Baptists. But when they ask me, why are you still SBC? Why are you Southern Baptist? I got three words, and they're gold, and they're a reason to stay Southern Baptist right now. International Mission Board. International Mission Board. It is nearly impossible to try to reach the world with the gospel without strategy and plan. And as Southern Baptists, we have a way to give so that we keep boots on the ground all around the world so that people can hear the good news of the gospel. The second truth we're going to see in this text is that global missions spread joy as people come under the rule of God. Go back to the text. Look at verse 3. It says, let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Look at verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. I want you to see that the gospel of Jesus brings joy and gladness where it is proclaimed. The emphasis here is twofold in verse 4. It's on God's justice and it is on God's shepherding in our lives. God's justice and God's shepherding. Now, prior to planting East Point, I was a student pastor slash associate pastor at Wyatt Baptist Church. How many of you know where Wyatt, Mississippi is? Nobody knows where Wyatt is. It's really not that far from here. It's like 30 minutes. If you go down Highway 305, it's going to come to an end in Highway 4. And if you take a left instead of going to Senatobia heading right, you hang a left and go towards Holly Springs, you're going to get literally to the middle of nowhere, and you're in Wyatt, Mississippi. And I served there as a student pastor and associate pastor, which the associate title pretty much just means I did everything Scott Rogers did not want to do. Okay. Which, is, which means all the things that Matt doesn't want to do, that probably means that Kyle does those things, right? So that's what I did. And we had a youth leadership team that I put together to kind of give ownership of our youth group and what we were doing. And one spring, I asked them, I said, hey, we've got an event. We're going to do something in June or July, and I'm going to let you guys decide what we do. And one of the kids raised his hand. I had like seven or eight juniors and seniors on this team. And he said, hey, I want to go to Parchment Prison and tour the prison. And I thought, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Who wants to go to the prison? And everybody in the room wanted to go to the prison. Everybody. And I thought, surely they don't do tours of Parchment. Surely we can't go and look at the prison. I called. Sure enough, they do tours of Parchment. Or they did at the time. I don't know if they still do it or not. And so I took... 
60-some-odd students and about a dozen adults, because even adults at the church are like, hey, I want to go look at the prison. Uh, it's interesting that we all want to go look at the prison. Nobody wants to be in the prison. Uh, so we go, and we're walking around, and they, get, they take us from building to building, showing us uh, different parts of the jail. And they're kind of bringing out different men all throughout the tour to share with us uh, kind of why we should obey the law and why we shouldn't go end up in prison. What I found interesting throughout the entire day is that many of the men had been impacted by some of the local churches and their prison ministry. And they were all giving testimony of God's grace and His mercy in their life and how God had been transforming them into a new person. And about the third or fourth testimony that we heard, it dawned on me that I'm no different than they are. Church, at the end of the day, so don't you hear, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. If you go back to the text in verse 4, it says, For you judge the peoples with equity. The word equity here literally means straight or level. And what that teaches us is that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. You may have come through the doors this morning having committed some of the most heinous sins in the world. And Jesus died in your place to offer you forgiveness. Listen, we live in a church culture even that says no one has the right to judge me. My wife and I were resource parents for the Department of Human Services. We were foster parents. That's how we got five kids in like a five-year window because we adopted Grayson and Lola Joe uh, to be a part of our family out of foster care. And we, we had a foster girl at one time that was with us for about 10 months. And I will never forget, I will never forget going into the courtroom the first day when her mother was trying to get her back. And there were a lot of reasons why she couldn't get her back at that point in time in her life. But I remember going into the courtroom that day, and I remember the judge laying out to her a growth plan for her life that she had to do in order to get back her daughter. And we walked out of that courtroom. She looked at her parents and her grandparents and said, who gives him the right to judge me? He can't judge me. Now, mind you, his title is literally family court judge. It's what he's paid to do. It is his sole job to judge whether or not someone whose child is coming to the custody of the state, whether or not they can get that child back. But we live in a culture that says you can't judge me. And what we see coming from the text in verse 4, the nations were glad. The nations were singing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity. Church, not only is God a judge, God is going to judge you. And he's going to judge me. Because God judges all. And then we see the phrase, not only is he going to judge the peoples with equity, 
But we see the phrase, he's going to guide the nations on the earth. That speaks of God as our shepherd and his leading in our lives. So the nations are rejoicing, not just because God's going to judge with equity and he's going to make right all the wrongs. They're also rejoicing and singing for joy and they have gladness because God is going to guide them as their shepherd. Church, we should rejoice today because we have a good shepherd who walks with us, who guides us, and who leads us all throughout our day. You see, when you and I come to saving faith in Jesus, we don't just get salvation. We get intimacy with the Father where you and I can walk with Him on a daily basis as He leads us and He guides us. So the nations here are singing for joy because God judges the peoples with equity and because he guides the nations on the earth. And then the text says in verses 6 and 7, fast forward and look at that with me, it says, the earth has yielded its increase. God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So God blesses us so that his salvation is known, his rule is known, and so that ultimately people will fear him. And of course, all of these things emphasize the global nature of God's mission. You see, the problem with so many within our culture, we see a culture that's just running rampant with sin. And you can trace it back to one thing, a lack of a fear of God. You see, we have a tendency to live life and fear man more than we fear God. Adirond Judson who was a pretty famous missionary, had an opportunity to go teach at Brown University or even pastor a church in Plymouth near his childhood home. But instead, before going overseas on the mission field, he wrote a letter to his mother that said this, I shall never live in Boston. I have further than that to go. Neither the tears of his mother and sister nor the hopes and dreams of his father could deter him from his call to go to the nations for Jesus' sake. You see, he feared God more than he feared man. Psalm 67 was written because God wants to be known, enjoyed, praised, and ultimately feared in all the nations. Church, what if the very reason we're alive today, the very reason we're able to draw breath, is because God has kept us alive and saved us for a global mission. And this leads us to the third and final truth we're going to look at in the text. And that is that global missions bring people into the enjoyment of God. Look at the text with me at verse 3. And then again in verse 5, it says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 5, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The verse is mentioned twice, and it's mentioned twice for emphasis. When I read a text, I think inductive Bible study method. I think inductive Bible study method. I think what's repeated, what's related, what's true to life, what's contrasting, But what's repeated is one of the first things I look for in a text. Because if it's repeated, it's being repeated for emphasis. 
God wanted them to know that as the gospel went to the ends of the earth, people were going to respond in worship. Church, worship is both the fuel and the goal of missions. Tucked away in Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, he makes this statement, gives us his truth, that God is a God who actively recruits worshipers. He is seeking people who will come and worship him. Church, don't miss this. In an entire chapter that deals with missions and the gospel going to the ends of the earth, we see that missions and worship are inextricably linked together. They're connected. As God's people seek to share the good news of the gospel, people will respond through faith and they will become worshipers of Jesus. Do you know why we can send missionaries to the ends of the earth and they can go to some of the most difficult people groups who are resistant to the gospel and they can go in with confidence knowing that some are going to make professions of faith? Because going back to Revelation 5, people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation are going to be gathered around the throne. And so that gives us supreme confidence in missions. That gives us supreme confidence in sharing the gospel with neighbors because we know that when we share the gospel, God is going to call out some of those people we share with and he is going to save them and they are going to become worshipers. John Piper said of missions in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, he says missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. That missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. And when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white, hot enjoyment of God's glory. Church, missions is temporary. Worship is eternal. And so when you and I gather together on a day like today, for some all across the church south, today is a day they attend church because it's what they've done since they were children. But they've gathered together because when we gather together for worship, God begins to stir our hearts for something greater than the mundane. He begins to stir our hearts and lay burdens on us to reach our neighbors with the gospel, to reach the world with the gospel. Do you know why I preach? Because I believe with all my heart that on Sunday morning when the saints come together and Jesus is lifted high and the scripture is proclaimed, the the Spirit of God will take that and he will use it to draw people out, to encourage the obedience of the saints throughout the week, to live on mission, to share the gospel, and to give so that the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. So what we're doing here is not just something you've done every Sunday at Cedar View in the last however many years you've been here. It is an opportunity for God to move in the hearts of the saints and to encourage us to spend our lives 
to share the gospel. Church, don't miss the connection here. The passionate worship of Jesus fuels believers to carry out the message of Jesus to the world. We gather week in and week out. And that should excite us. It should, and it should excite in us a desire to walk in obedience to God. My prayer every Sunday is that when people walk through the doors of East Point Church, that they will be convicted to walk and live in obedience. That God will give them a greater burden to reach their neighbors. And so church, let's allow our lives to be conquered by a greater dream than the American dream. Let's allow our lives to be conquered by a king and a kingdom that consumes every area of our lives. We're preaching through the book of Acts right now at East Point. We've been, we started it, I don't know, back in October or September, I can't remember. And uh, Josh preached this morning. Uh, he began chapter 4, so I'll finish up chapter 4 next week. What I love about chapter 3 is the end of chapter 2, Peter and John see some 3,000 people come to faith at Pentecost. 3,000 people. And then in chapter 3, they're walking into the temple together. And you could think at this point in time, well, Peter and John are the pastor of a megachurch, right? They've got this huge congregation there. And so they're not going to you know, stoop down to care for the needs of the one. And as they're walking through the temple gate, who do they notice laying at the gate called Beautiful? Does anybody know? It's going to be interaction time in the sermon. Who do they notice? Notice the lame beggar. Oh, you know the statement. The lame beggar asked for money. Peter and John fixed their gaze at him. And they say, silver and gold have I not. They're like most college kids, right? Silver and gold have I not. But what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. Peter and John in that moment weren't trying to change the world to the masses. They were trying to impact the one. And so you may say, what kind of platform do I have to change the world? Love your neighbors. Be a faithful spouse. Invest in your children and your grandchildren. And do it one person at a time. I've got a few points of application. Those are things you can take from this text and live out. Number one, I want to encourage you to use the financial resources God has given you to expand the kingdom of God through giving to foreign missions. Use the financial resources God has given you to be faithful in giving to foreign missions. Jim Elliott, I think we celebrated, I say we celebrated as if that's something to celebrate, but we remembered the 50th anniversary of his death just a couple of weeks ago. He said this, so what if the well-fed church and the homeland need stirring? They have the scriptures, most and the prophets, and a whole lot more. Their condemnation is written on their bank books and in the dust on their Bible covers. American believers have sold their lives to the service of mammon. And God 
has his rightful way of dealing with those who succumb to the spirit of Laodicea. Church, the temptation for us in the States is to take the blessings of God, give a percentage of it to the church, and spend it lavishly on ourselves. New homes, new cars, more possessions, more stuff. And I want to encourage you today to use the financial resources God has given you to expand the kingdom of God through giving to foreign missions. Number two, I want to encourage you to share the gospel of Jesus so that others will come into the enjoyment of God. Share the gospel. It sounds simple, yet it's profound. You're sharing the good news with others that Jesus died in their place. David Platt said this. He said, every person or every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. And even though we lived in a church culture, the gospel being shared is rare. And lastly, number three, I want to encourage you to worship Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength because nothing fuels missions like worship. So be faithful. Be faithful in gathering with the saints on the Lord's day and worshiping Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so as we get ready to close in just a moment, several things. Number one, you may be here today and you may think my life has never mattered My life doesn't matter to the ends of the earth. How can I participate in this? I've never done anything. Number one, you can repent because God created you so that the gospel would go through you to others. At East Point, we've got a saying and we mention it almost every Sunday and half for nine years. We were created to love Jesus. That's to treasure him and to adore him above all things. And we were created to live sent. What does it mean to live sent? It simply means this, to live life on mission, sharing the gospel with others. And if you have not been doing that, I encourage you to repent today. And if you're an unbeliever today who has come through the doors, and when I talk about missions and I talk about your life mattering, living a life that matters, I want you to understand first and foremost, today is not a day to come and to, and to commit to living a life that matters. If you're an unbeliever, today is a day for you to come and to give your heart and life to Jesus. It starts by repenting of sin and calling out to Jesus through faith. And so as we get ready to have an invitation, Kyle's going to be at the front. If God is working in your heart, I encourage you to be obedient. So I'll pray and we'll respond. Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. And God, I thank you for the word. God, I thank you for how it pierces our hearts. God, I thank you for how the truth stir us and how they convict us. And I pray that as it has gone forward today that you will use it in the hearts of the saints. God, that you will encourage them. God, that you will lead us and shepherd us to living a life of obedience. And Father, I pray for an unbeliever who may be here today. I pray that you will reach into the depths of their soul and God, that you will give them life and that you'll save them. And God, that they'll respond through repentance and faith. So, God, I pray that you will move through your word, through the power of the Spirit. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.